0: Hello Vision Nation. So Ray Kroc is the guy that made McDonald's into a powerhouse business. He only got involved with McDonald's when he was in his 50s and he still managed to become a billionaire. So this is great inspiration for anyone who thinks it's too late for them to become financially successful. In the story, we'll cover how Ray learned key lessons from his early career, his big bet on McDonald's, and how they almost went bankrupt several times before becoming a huge success. All the dollar figures in the story are adjusted to today's dollars. All right, let's dive right in. Welcome to Wall Street Vision. This show is on true stories about people making millions. I'm your host, Vlad Dolgochev the show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice, check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. So Ray grew up in the early 1900s close to Chicago. He wasn't much of a good student when he was a kid, but he did have a strong work ethic. Ray worked at grocery stores and did a few entrepreneurial things as well. He started up a lemonade stand and opened a little music shop with his buddies. None of those early businesses really worked out. So after school finished, Ray played piano for money and he also got the sales job selling paper cups to restaurants. During those early years, Ray worked like a savage. Here's what a typical day would look like. He would start his day around 7 o'clock in the morning selling paper cups door to door. Then after doing a full day of that, he would get to a radio station in the evening and play piano for two hours. He had a break from 8 to 10 p.m., and then he'd play piano again from 10 at night until 2 o'clock in the morning. He was an absolute machine. Then one night, he played piano at this resort place, and that's where he met a girl named Ethel. You know where this is going, right? It was love at first sight, and soon enough they got married. Even with his crazy work ethic, he had this sort of scattered career path early in life, and it wasn't until he was 25 that he decided to really get focused on one job instead of moonlighting as a piano player. He was serious about his decision to focus. He devoted every ounce of energy to selling paper cups. He figured that in order to succeed at something, you had to be the best, and to become the best, you just had to put in the work. At the time, there was this milkshake blender thing called the multi-mixer. It had five spinning attachments to make five milkshakes at once. Ray's company became the official distributor for this thing, and it made perfect sense business-wise. Each customer who would buy a multi-mixer would buy tons of paper cups as well. It was a win-win situation. At this point, Ray had been with the paper cup company for over 10 years and he kept on getting more and more fed up with management. Things finally reached the boiling point and he decided to go off on his own. His plan was to become the exclusive salesperson for the multi-mixer. He wanted to sell it to restaurants across the country. He was amped up about this decision and told his wife about it. Can you guess her reaction? Well, she absolutely hated it. Her point was, they had a comfortable life, and why would he take this massive risk in his mid 30s? It didn't make any sense to her. They had a nice upper middle class life in a quiet Chicago suburb. Why risk it? Ray went for it anyway, and that really strained their relationship. He went to his boss and said, Listen, I see huge potential with a multimixer. If you give me the exclusive contract, I'll sell lots of them, and you'll sell tons of paper cups." But the boss refused to go for it and countered with his own pitch. The boss wanted Ray to open up a new firm that would focus on the multi-mixer sales. The paper cup company would be an investor and get 60% of Ray's new firm. This was brutal. I can't believe Ray agreed to this. If you're a minority partner in the business that you start, you're gonna have huge issues because you'll need pre-approval for any important business decisions. With that deal in place, Ray couldn't even give himself a raise at his own company. Talk about a terrible situation! Crazy that he agreed to this. After some time of being on the road selling these multi-mixers, Ray came to grips with how awful the contract was. So he decided that he had to buy out his boss so he could actually have control. It would never work any other way. The only problem was that the boss now wanted $800,000 for the shares. That was over seven times the money the boss initially invested. Ray was absolutely gutted. That was a ridiculous offer and he didn't have that kind of money. But the boss wouldn't budge. In the end, they negotiated on a down payment in cash and the balance paid over five years with interest. I was shocked to learn that Ray went ahead with this. Like, wouldn't you just forget about that business and go find some other product to sell instead of agreeing to pay 800 grand out of your own pocket? But Ray was stubborn and determined, so he mortgaged his house to get the money. When his wife found out, she went ballistic. Not only did he quit a good job to do something so risky, but now he was mortgaging his house and putting their future at risk. What was he thinking? That threw his marriage down the tubes proper. He worked like a madman for the next several years, getting little sleep and being constantly on the move. He had his back against the wall, so the motivation was off the charts. He was also a phenomenal salesman with an insane drive to succeed. So by the time he turned 46 years old, he was selling thousands of multi-mixers each year. He achieved a good level of success at that company, but after 15 years of grinding it out, he realized that trends were shifting. He had his eye on the industry and he saw that sales would eventually decline. This business was a melting ice cube. He could see that he needed to find a better product with a better future. Ray was looking for a new product to focus on. And around that time, he heard of a little restaurant in California that was running not one, not two, but eight multi-mixers. These mixers sold for 1500 bucks in the fifties. And for a small location to have so many units was unheard of. So he went out west to check it out. When he got to the restaurant, he saw two big golden arches out front, and there were tons of cars lined up in the parking lot. There were swarms of people with smiles on their faces buying huge bags of burgers and fries. Ray went up to someone in line and asked them about the restaurant. Well, mister, they've got the best burger you've ever tasted for 15 cents. And you don't need to mess around tipping waitresses either. Most people Ray spoke with were going to this place every day. There were a bunch of employees walking around and they kept everything very neat and they cleaned up any trash that people left behind. You gotta remember that this was the 50s, so people littered like crazy. Back then if someone went to a picnic, they'd just leave all their trash behind on the grass. Littering was a mess back then. Ray was so impressed that he just had to meet the owners of this place. After the lunch rush died down, he went over and introduced himself. The restaurant was owned by two brothers, Dick and Mac McDonald. He talked to them about what they did and how they did it. Their key thing was to keep everything super simple so that they could concentrate on quality and speed. Dick and Mac opened their first McDonald's in the late 40s. It was a restaurant that only had burgers, fries, and drinks. By keeping the menu small, they could focus on having amazing consistency across all their food. As he was talking to them, Ray started imagining lots of these restaurants popping up all over the U.S. with eight multi-mixers in each one of them. He was so amazed that he pitched them on working together. He wanted to be in charge of selling new restaurants to franchisees that would want to join the chain. And he quickly got a lawyer involved to draw up an agreement. One of the clauses was that any new restaurant had to follow the brothers' plans to the last detail. Everything from the building layout to the signs and menus. Any changes would have to be approved by the brothers in writing. The agreement also outlined that Ray would get 1.9% of the sales from the new franchisees and that the brothers would get 0.5% of Ray's cut. Ray was giddy with excitement when he got back to Chicago and told his wife about this. And she flew off the handle. In her mind, first Ray quit his job to run those multi-mixer sales, then he mortgaged their house for business funds, and now he's changing course to something else again when he was 52 years old? She just didn't understand it at all. They argued like crazy about the whole thing, and at that point, his marriage was basically over. He didn't get a divorce, but it was a strained, estranged marriage. Ray sent someone over to Dick and Mac's location to study their layouts of the kitchen. The brothers had originally figured out the most efficient layout by drawing chalk diagrams on a tennis court behind their house. They had this whole team working at this pretend restaurant drawn in chalk to figure out the best layout possible. Their goal was to get the most efficient operation. The only issue was, the brothers had their restaurant in California, and Ray was opening his in Chicago. Chicago is a lot colder than California, so he was going to need a furnace in his restaurant. The problem was that Ray had to get written approval from the brothers before modifying any aspect of the restaurant. And the brothers kind of blew him off. They gave him a verbal okay to have a furnace, but they didn't send anything in writing. So Ray went to a bunch of lawyers to get legal advice, and they told him that he'd be crazy to continue without getting written permission. Ray wasn't getting the permission from them, so he went ahead with the changes to the building plans. Not a great way to start your first location. Apart from the restaurant's layout, he also had issues with the french fries. No matter what he did, the fries did not taste as good as the ones in California. He called up the brothers and copied their process step by step, but his fries still tasted different. Finally, he called up the spud experts at the Potato and Onion Association. Who knew there was such an organization? He went through the whole process with them, and he was describing how the brothers kept the potatoes in shaded chicken wire bins before they were cut into strips, and the potato expert was like, that's it! This little step is what made all the difference. You see, when potatoes are dug out of the ground, they're mostly water and they don't taste great. But as they dry out, the sugars turn to starch and they become delicious. The McDonald's brothers were improving the taste of their fries by putting their potatoes in the desert breeze. And they didn't know this. They stumbled on it totally by accident. Ray couldn't leave his potatoes outside because of Chicago Winners, so he kept them in the basement and put a huge fan down there. They had the most pampered potatoes. The chefs joked that they almost felt guilty about cooking them. And the reason Ray spent so much effort on the fries was because he knew that he wasn't in the burger business. He was in the French fry business. That's what got people to come into their restaurants in the first place. And once they were there, sure, they'd buy a burger and a drink. Apart from being an obsessed operator, Ray used these guerrilla tactics, like going through the trash at his competitors' restaurants to get intel on how many boxes of meat and packages of buns they used. He was an intense competitor and he tried to get an edge wherever he could. It took a whole year for Ray's first franchise to run smoothly. After he had the location up and running, he realized that the brothers had previously licensed that same area to somebody else for 55000 And that's exactly where he built his first location. He was in breach of contract, so he had to spend 270000 to buy back that area. It was blood money. He could not afford that. So you can see how there were tensions between Ray and the McDonald's brothers forming from the very beginning of their relationship. I think that pissed him off so much that he never really got over it. The only thing that saved him was the multi-mixer money that was still coming in. That paid for all the rent and the salaries for McDonald's corporate staff. This whole time Ray was working like a madman to get McDonald's going. He was grinding it out in a major way. He'd show up to his location at the same time as the janitor, and if the janitor needed help, Ray would jump in on a mop and clean up the toilets, even if he was wearing a fancy suit and tie. Then, Ray would go off to work on the multi-mixer sales before finishing up the day with more McDonald's work. In those days, he worked around the clock. The interesting thing is that the way he set up McDonald's at the start was different than most other franchises at the time. And by the way, Ray was the franchisor, and the franchisee is the person who opens up their own McDonald's. So, franchisees are the outside people that buy into the business. So today, if you have a million or two and the right background, you could also set up a McDonald's location as well. You could become a franchisee. Anyway, a lot of franchisors back then would make money by selling stuff like cups, burgers, fries, napkins, and so on to the franchisee. But Ray didn't like that model. He didn't like having the franchisees as his customers. He felt that there would be a conflict with him trying to make the most profits from the franchisees instead of helping them grow their businesses. And I mean, that makes sense. You could see how there would be a temptation to increase margins by creating lower quality products. So his team cooked up a different business model. Ray's plan was to own the real estate that the McDonald's would be built on, and the franchisee would lease the location from Ray. If that location did really well, they'd also pay a larger percentage of the gross sales. This way, Ray protected the downside and got more of the upside. The small McDonald's corporate team worked crazy hours back then, and Ray's colleagues worked so hard that they neglected their families completely. The lady in charge of admin said that while her two kids were growing up, she never made it to any of their birthday parties or graduations, and there were lots of times she had to be in the office on Christmas as well. They were trying to scale the business like crazy before other restaurants copied what McDonald's was doing. To get the most out of their advantage, they had to work around the clock. Five years after Ray started franchising, they had 37 restaurants. Three years after that, they had over 200. Ray couldn't afford to pay big salaries, but he rewarded his staff with stock. He gave them 30% of the company. That chunk alone is worth $60 today. But back when they were starting out, there were no guarantees at all. The stock was worthless. And even though Ray was generous in some ways, he demanded a lot out of his people. There's even one story told about him where he fired someone because the poor guy wore a weird looking hat and had unpolished shoes. He was a tough boss. Ray and his team were so obsessed with the food that they'd scrutinize everything. Like even the buns. At first they would get these buns that were attached to each other in groups of six and they were only partially sliced. The race team figured out that it would be easier and faster for the cook on the griddle if they were individual buns instead of being grouped and if they were sliced all the way through. This would help the cook complete orders faster so customers would get their burgers more quickly during busy times. They were obsessed with finding little improvements like that. When it came to the hamburger patties, they emphasized amazing quality and had a standard of having a maximum of 19% fat in the meat. That gave the meat the best, juiciest flavor. And they even developed their own testing equipment. So when the restaurants would get a delivery of meat and it had more than 19% fat, they'd reject it because that would affect the quality of the burgers. Ray would focus relentlessly on quality, service, cleanliness, and value. Those were the things that he wanted at every single restaurant. All along the way, there were lots of things that went wrong that could have made them bankrupt. Here's one example. An associate that was supposed to open up a bunch of locations made this massive mistake. This guy went rogue and started to work on eight different sites for future restaurants. They even started construction on some of them and then one day Ray gets a call from his lawyer saying, you are in big trouble. The associate didn't do his due diligence and he didn't properly check the title to the properties and the properties they were building had liens filed against them. When there's a lien on a property it means that someone is owed a debt and they have a claim on that property until their debt is paid off. So now Ray had 8 locations that he didn't own outright, so the people holding the liens could come in and get massive payouts from him. This was gonna cost 4 million that Ray didn't have. He freaked right out and had a full on yelling meltdown. He had to come up with the money, but how could he do that? He had already invested all the money he had into the business. So they went to their suppliers and convinced them to lend the money. The suppliers gave them a lifeline that saved the business. One odd thing about Ray's life is that he openly admitted to falling in love with a woman named Joni Smith. Ray and Joni were both married at that time. And Ray was 27 years older than Joni. Another odd thing is that Joni's husband ended up working as a manager at a McDonald's location. Even with all this, Ray was so in love that he just had to divorce Ethel. He gave her everything he had, including the house, the car, the insurance, and 300000 per year for life. The only thing he was concerned about is that he got to keep all his McDonald's stock. Ray didn't have enough money left over to pay for the lawyer fees, so he sold his multimixer company and used the proceeds to finalize the divorce. Now the crazy thing is that after his divorce finalized, Joni got cold feet and didn't agree to get together with him. This crushed him emotionally, and I think that when something like that happens to an obsessed business person, they just tend to double down on their business as a form of distraction. At this point, Ray wanted to end the relationship with the McDonald's brothers. Their relationship got worse over the years, and they'd argue about stuff all the time. The brothers kind of wanted to keep a low profile, and Ray had this ambition to grow the company into a massive powerhouse. Max Health wasn't that great, and Dick wanted to retire. Ray didn't dilly-dally and just straight up asked them what their price would be. They said $27 million and they wanted to keep their original McDonald's restaurant. Ray was furious at the amount of money they asked for, but he agreed. The deal closed and they kept their original restaurant, which they rebranded to the Big M, because they couldn't use the McDonald's name. While Ray was so pissed and bitter about the whole thing that he opened a McDonald's right across the street from them and ran them out of business. This guy was ruthless. So within five years of starting to sell McDonald's franchises, Ray had built up a powerhouse business. There was a bunch of press saying how well they were doing, but what the press wasn't saying was that they were actually really struggling with cash flow. They were paying out so much money for land and buildings, and the income coming in was peanuts compared to the cash coming out of the company. They even got to a point where they were overdrawn at the bank and couldn't pay people's salaries. So what they did was switch from weekly pay periods to bi-weekly. This is interesting because so many times you see big headlines of businesses making so much in revenue or signing these massive deals, but it's hard to know what's actually going on without having access to the financials. By the mid-60s, their huge cash investments began to pay off as all the open restaurants began to pay them huge returns. So, Ray was still in love with Joni, and Joni and her husband had opened a bunch of McDonald's franchises at this point. But Joni still wouldn't leave her husband, so Ray started dating, and he ended up meeting someone else and marrying her within two weeks of their first date. What a guy! On the business front, 10 years into it, they were finally ready to go public. After the IPO, Ray and any original shareholders all became millionaires. By the time he died in 1984, his net worth was around $1.7 billion. Oh, and you want to know what happened with Joni? Well, Ray divorced his second wife, and he and Joni finally got married in the end. Happy ending all around. All right, Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this episode. Also, a quick announcement I'm taking a break from making new episodes for the time being. We'll pick up with new episodes soon enough. If you want to stay in touch, you can connect via the contact form or check me out on TikTok. Just search for Wall Street Vision Podcast. If you'd like to support our show, you can give us a five star review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you know someone who's interested in stories about people making millions, please share this episode with them. Thank you, and I hope you have an amazing day. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. This show is copyrighted by Wall Street Vision. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.